This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. The things I've almost told you All the things I've thought about you It takes all my strength to face you To hold still And when you give me your attention Things get lost in translation Again Tell you I don't love you at all But I do love you I don't wanna be a Mihi Nomen Est Stella at Hawk Est Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 222 for June MMXXII. Happy Pride Month. I will try to make this episode as queer as possible within reason because there is one section that I will complain about in regards to queer baiting. So that's the only thing, but everything else, I'll try my best. Backgirl the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, this 
episode is going to be pretty quick and dirty because I'm about to hit the tarmac and go to Germany and Austria. And I needed to get an episode out before then. So the front half with the vintage is going to be untouched, but the back half, there won't be a Nightwing. So for all of our Nightwing sexual identifiers, you will be without for Pride Month, which is a bit of a bummer. But hey, at least I got an episode out. I was thinking about, you know, what sort of things I could talk about. Certainly this intro is not going to be as crazy and long as last time. I do want to talk about my first trip this summer and I guess just latest trip to Bush Gardens, which is an amusement park in Williamsburg, Virginia. And there's also one in Tampa Bay. It has a sister in Tampa Bay, Florida. There was a new roller coaster due to come out this summer called Pantheon. And as a classicist, of course, I needed to go on this because, you know, it's going to go through the the Roman Pantheon of gods. And as a most, I would say mostly a roller coaster connoisseur within reason, you know, there haven't been any that have been too intense. The most intense one, I would say, and the one that does check my mortality and give me pause and does make me nervous every time I go on. It's called the Intimidator at King's Dominion. And that has a 300 foot drop at the very beginning. And the first time I went on, I was fine. Second time I grayed out and the third time I blacked out. So I don't know if I'll ever go on that again. It's also the only roller coaster I've never been on in the front with the exception of Pantheon, but I've just been on one. So anyways, Pantheon, it is a multi-launch coaster. It is now touted as the fastest multi-launch coaster in the world. I think its max is 73 miles per hour. And launching just means that it uses magnets to shoot you off acceleration-wise. So there aren't any click, click, click. There aren't any of those. And so you're just kind of gliding along and then it'll shoot you off. And there's one point where it goes forward almost up an arc. It goes up like quarter of an arc and then it goes backwards, shoots you back. And then you go up to this point and you're just hanging there for a bit. And then you go down and it shoots you twice and then you complete your arc. I'm not sure where the point is of your fast acceleration. It could be that point to get you over that, but it was crazy. But let me back up and just say, there's a lot of stuff I could say about that trip to Bush Gardens. I went with Ellie, Claire, and Claire's brother, Will. I don't know if I've spoken of him before. So all former students, (laughs) but you know, I could say probably we're all friends now. And Will just graduated high school. So congrats to him going to UVA, Wahoo So Ellie is not going to go on this roller coaster. She has some motion sickness issues and there are some coasters she can't do. And it's the backwards part that's going to mess her up as well as the corkscrew. So she's not going to do it. Claire and Will are going to go with me. Yeah, they're a bit nervous about it, but they're going to do it for me because this is just the one thing that I really want to do this time is to go on this coaster. So as we're going in, this guy comes out and I say, hey, how was it? You know, what would you say it's like? And he says, it's like Tempesto part two. Now, Tempesto is a fine roller coaster, but it's, it's honestly not my favorite. And that one could make me sick because it has kind of this cradling rock back and forth. It goes back and forth a couple of times. It's not just once. So I thought, well, that's not 
a great endorsement, but we'll keep on going. So now we get to this part, and I don't know what they're called exactly, but they're guidelines. That's not even it. I really have no idea what the terminology would be, but it's basically these metal stands with a limit marker up top. And there's one that's short that says you have to be this tall to get in, but there's now one that's tall that says you cannot be this height to ride. And I've never seen one of those before. So Will luckily is just shy. I think it was like, it was saying six, four, he's six, one, but this is something like what's happening. This is super weird. And of course we're like holding up a, a short line behind us as we're like all discussing this. We keep on walking. We're not even really to the line now. We're just making it around. I should say that because we went on June 1st, it was a Wednesday. Most of the schools aren't out. We were just walking on our rides, which is great. So we're just walking. They have nice little points or markers that talk about the gods and you know what the what the gods are and what you will encounter. And then there's even a cool map of the coaster in plan form. And you see what sections are for what gods. Before we even get to that, now there's a warning right before we turn the corner. There's a warning that says you need to have two fully functioning hands and you cannot have an amputation on a leg above the knee. Again, we, I personally have never seen this sign. (laughs) My two comrades were already nervous and they're even more nervous. I'm getting nervous (laughs) because I've not seen this. So now we go. Now, I do love the front front row, but it's the first time. Also, my comrades, well, I guess it wouldn't have mattered, but the front row is a bit, there's a line. So we just go in and we're going to be like second and third car or something like that. There were going to be, there's going to be a couple in front of us, chat them up. Do you have you been here before? And they're like, no, but you'll be fine. I asked some of the people that are in line for front row, has anyone been on this ride? No one's been on this ride, but this one child and this child said, now she's probably like 10, but she, I'm like, okay, tell me all about it. And she's like, um, why don't you let it be a surprise? And I thought, ma'am, that is not what I asked, but her mother said that who hadn't been on, she said, all I've heard is that keep your neck back. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's good advice because this kid's not helping me out. Plus, you know, children are fearless. So really, can you trust them? So we're going to be, let's say the next coast, uh, well, the next, next coaster and people that were chatting up there in there. Now there's some sort of holdup. So there's this guy, I guess maybe there's no like big boy seat because on some coasters, they have big, big boy seats. So if you are bigger, you still get latched in. They move them to another row. And one of the, the people that are working is like trying to shove him in there, like trying to click the seat down. It's not working. So he's taken off. And then this couple who seem to be latched in are also taken off. I'm not really, really sure what happened there. I don't know if it's a weight issue. I mean, with him, I think it certainly was a size issue, but I wasn't sure if like overall it would have been unbalanced with what they were doing. So now they're off because I thought, oh, we'll see. They were even giving thumbs up and we're saying like, tell us what happens afterwards. So now we're, we have no one to guide us. So now we're going in, we're going (laughs) into the coaster. I don't think we went on that one, but it was the next one. We went in. I was getting scared. My heart was beating. It was pumping fast. I gave some fist bumps to Claire and Will. And then we started off and just coast down the little coast. And then we zoom off. And it 
was amazing. I think Verbolton is had been my favorite, which is also multi-point launch and it's mostly indoors takes it's in germany so it it takes place in the dark forest and it's inside it's pretty cool and if you can ever go on it at night that's even more awesome because you leave the darkness of the inside and you're still in the dark outside this one may have been and next time i go because i I definitely will probably go again i think josh is going to come up and we're going to go I want to go in the front row because I think that would be amazing. But yeah, it was just so fun, so fast. There's this moment where you're upside down moving laterally because normally, you know, you do a corkscrew and you're just constantly in motion, but like corkscrews halfway, you're upside down moving and then it corkscrews the rest of the way. And that section where you go up and you're, you know, you go back and there's just that moment, you know, at the peak where you're like, oh my gosh, and it just stops and you're weightless and you're fine. And then after, when you hit those two launches and you're thinking, oh my gosh, am I about to go off of this? It just reminds me of some of the deaths that I've had playing Roller Coaster Tycoon because of accidents where coasters have gone off the tracks. But yeah, it was it was awesome. I can't wait to do it again. But you certainly are trusting physics. You're trusting man-made things. <laughs> to do this. So that was super cool. And I am ever so grateful to Claire and Will. And they said they also really loved it. But Claire kept her eyes closed the entire time, which was funny because she was saying, I had no idea where my body was at any point in time. I thought, wow, that's, you know, that was true of what I felt too. It was just crazy what was going on. But then she said my eyes were closed and I thought, well, no wonder you didn't know where you were. So highly recommend. And yeah, if you ever go to Williamsburg, just hit me up. You know, I'll meet you over there and go on some of those coasters. I don't like drop towers. I don't like spinny things either, but the coasters, I will definitely ride with you. And Carolyn Coca, our professor, our chief Tata correspondent came and visited. She was going to go to Awesome Con in DC and she swung down and came and visited me. And per usual, this visit could be considered NC-17 with all the details that I could say about it and the things that you said, the bullying from her that went on to me. No, it was a lot of fun. And she did strangle me at one point, but I'm glad to say that I am alive and well. And many people, once I showed that strangling image to them, thought that I deserved it. And it was karma. Even my mother said karma, I guess, because I strangle other people. So that was a lot of fun. And it's always sad when you have a a friend come to visit you and then you spend, you know, like a whole day together and, you know, have good conversations and, and go fun places. And then they leave. It's kind of like this emptiness. So it was sad when she drove away. I was like, well, now back to my old same humdrum life. Oh, boy. And I think that was the only thing I was going to talk about. Of course, I can't really talk about Germany and Austria yet. I will say, however, that I honestly, I do know a couple places now where we're going, but I'm just kind of along for the ride. It's definitely my father's trip. He wanted me to go with him. And then it's uh, two of his friends, one of them from high school, and he was in a band with him. And it's lovely that I don't have to worry about details and things like that. So I'm just along for the ride. Every place, every destination will be a surprise for me. Okay, let me move on to Find Your Joy, 
AKA Shags, Mac and Cheese, a comfort and joy. And what's been giving me joy in these times, times are up and down per usual, but we can make it. I feel summer is my deadline for myself to get out of this work situation. So here's hoping, fingers crossed. But I will say, starting with the, the queerness that I promised you, NCIS Hawaii has been giving me joy. That's going to be my my joy that I'm mentioning. So I like to, you guys know, I like to, I like shippers, period. And I also like to find shipper videos, usually music videos on YouTube. And one of these ships popped up and I thought, oh, what's this? Investigating, investigating. And it's coming from NCIS Hawaii. So NCIS Hawaii First season is done. How can I watch this? Oh, it's only on Paramount Plus. So I ended up getting a free trial of Paramount Plus just so I could watch NCIS Hawaii. So I could see the Lucy and Kate ship happen, which was nice. Then it was very painful for a very long time. And then it was nice again. But it turned out, I mean, I really like uh, Lucy and Kate. Ernie is really fun. And uh, the boss is the first special agent in charge as a woman, which is really cool. So I ended up actually really liking the whole cast of characters and really liking the show. So it wasn't like I was just watching it for the ship because in the beginning, it was certainly like, I'm just watching this for the ship. But then it's like, oh, I actually really enjoy these people. And this is super fun. And I'm happy there's a woman in charge and that kind of thing. So I recommend it if you're interested, I guess, in military things. I know that's not everybody's everybody's thing. There was something funny. I think I was looking up people because someone looked familiar. Captain Milius looked familiar. He played Captain Carter's romantic interest on Asian Carter. I don't know why I called her Captain Carter, probably because of Doctor Strange too. But he was also in Dollhouse, and that was try- what I was trying to remember. But I remember seeing an IMDb rating and and basically something somebody is saying, giving a really well rating and saying like the late lesbians are taking over, you know, where's the military dot, 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 dot. And I thought, well, that certainly is what someone would probably say if they're used to a certain status quo on their NCIS episodes or shows or whatever. So again, recommend NCIS Hawaii. Okay. No quickies this time. There is a batch of Nightwing that I need to do, but I I felt like I didn't really need to do it yet because she's not even in Babs. is not even in a couple of them and there's like enough Babs dick going on and what I'm about to do. So I'm going to do three Birds of Prey issues. The last three before Gail Simone and I never thought I'd say it, but really I cannot wait for Gail Simone's run to begin. And uh, a big reason, honestly, is because of this arc here. Really, these two arcs that we have with uh, Hernandez, it just was uh, not my speed. Let's just say that. Okay, so we're doing 53, 54, and 55. First is Birds of Prey 53, Girls Night Out, May 2003 cover date. Writer Gilbert Hernandez, and remember I said I've never heard of this person. Carolyn actually texted me and said, just so you know, he's one of the brothers that writes Love and Rockets. And that's something I'd never read. So that's why I didn't know. But there you go. Shout out to the people who like Love and Rockets. And I apologize for not knowing that detail. Artist Casey Jones. He's back from beating up the shredder. Colorist Hi-Fi. 
Dinah and Barbara take a much needed vacation and reflect on their most recent adventures. Barbara just wants to spend time on her laptop. <laughs> That's not a vacation. But Dinah spends her time with a man she met at the bar, Tom. Back in Gotham, Tom, Dinah, and Barbara go out together. As they leave the club, they are jumped in an alley where Tom is amazed at the other two's combat skills, in particular Babs. Dinah is conflicted about her friendship with Tom now that Oliver is back in her life. Barbara is having her own conflicted feelings about Dick, who has left several unanswered messages. Back in his apartment, Tom answers the phone and addresses the caller as Danko, his brother. Here we have the cover. And it's interesting because of the rips on this, you would expect there to be like a third person. (laughs) And I guess the only third person we would know would probably be Babs. But there is no third person here. It's just uh, Dinah and this guy. We'll assume it's Tom. Of course, it is Phil Noto. But you kind of wonder, yeah, why is it torn? It says Getaway Paradise and then Gotham Airlines. Okay. So... I am glad that someone is asking the same questions that I was about the fake killer moth in the previous Hernandez arc. If you remember just who he was, um, how he got in there, all that. Dinah's asking those sorts of questions. Dinah's also, besides asking questions on that, questioning herself which is a bit bizarre. So it says, not for the first time, she wonders how she fits in this universe of superpower beings. Even with her canary cry and skill at martial arts, she sometimes feels terribly outclassed. I think, and it was a running theme for the previous arc for Hernandez that he seems to be treating this cast of characters as if we're meeting them for the first time. But because it's issue 53, we certainly haven't been. But this is not, this is a Dinah questioning herself way back in issue one, which is, which makes sense. Or, you know, a power girl questioning herself after she lost her powers. Not now. So don't really get that. But maybe new reader friendly. I don't know. We're doing, of course, this insight to the mind of the characters thing again. Just like I said, like we're getting to know them, but Babs does at least ask herself why she didn't feel a bit more after Killer Moth killed himself. And if you remember, I myself also wondered why she was not emotionless, but she certainly wasn't emoting as much as I would have if someone had killed himself right before my eyes. Dinah, I feel like, is acting a bit strange At one point, she says, there's a cute butt. And then Bab says, where? And then Dinah says, in the mirror. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Babs wants to go up to the room. And then Dinah is saying, not unless somebody will be joining you. And Babs says, what has gotten into you this trip? Don't answer that. I predict a sex in the city type response. And yeah, Dinah goes on and, and is just being... If you get this reference, I know we're on a DC Comics podcast, but I do it all the time. She's being a total Mary Jane, just partying it off. So clearly something is the matter, but it's just like, it's a bit too much. And you're only seeing her being a bit too much and not so much like, oh, what is it? But even Babs can kind of intuit, oh, it's probably because Ollie's back and she's wrestling with these feelings and everything. But good heavens, shouldn't Dinah know that Babs and Dick are together? Why is she trying to get Babs to hook up with some rando here at this party? Uh, There is a funny section where this guy pops up and says, can I do something for you, Red? And she says, lay off the blonde in there with the perfect curves. You'll live longer, which is right there. So, I mean, she's still got it. 
oh, just you wait actually until this uh, this other person. Four days later, apparently, Babs is <laughs> called Grandma by Dinah, saying, uh, "Don't wait up, Grandma." Dick has been attempting to message her and she's been pushing off. And we know in some of those quickies that I've done that they're having a bit of a, you know, a tough time. Babs is struggling to understand his double roles. And then, of course, tarantula and all of that. I'll return calls when I'm back home is what she says in her mind. And then the narration bubble, it says, unlike Canary, Oracle has conflicted feelings about her relationship with the original Robin which I don't really, that makes no sense because Canary, I think also has conflicted feelings about Ollie. And then it continues on. Maybe Dinah's got the right idea about not rushing into things. Maybe playing the field can work the kinks. Maybe it's time, work out the kinks. Maybe it's time to keep Dick guessing again. Maybe staying in is the wrong thing to do after all. Who is this Barbara Gordon? She is in a relationship with him. There may be a bit of a a rough spot that they're currently in, but now is not the time to go out and play the field. And that's not just playing the field. You're actively cheating on somebody because I think there is an understanding with you and Dick. If she went out and slept with someone here on this vacation, can't just leave it there. She would have to tell Dick and Dick would absolutely be heartbroken and break up with her. Uh, there is this romantic section here between Tom and Dinah. I do wonder who kissed whom, but this guy, it's kind of weird, especially because I thought, oh, well, something will be answered. There's probably something more about Tom. There's actually really not more about Tom, but he actually leaps to the fact that she has a husband. So because she rips her lips away and said, you know, I like you, but you know, he says, you've got a husband and she says no, but you know, it is uh very complicated. And then he can psychoanalyze her. You're a strange lover's back in your life, and you're afraid to let go of all your feelings again because there's no guarantee he'll stay. And she wonders how. And I too wonder how. And with hindsight, I can tell you I still wonder how. But as I was reading, I thought, oh wow, there's he knows something. He's been spying on them. That is not. That is not what happened. So I have no idea. I guess just good guesses on Tom's. He's an insightful gentleman, which doesn't happen very often. But I think it's also that's a very on the nose hypothesis for somebody that just met you four days ago. There are a bunch of jerks on this vacation. There's one guy here that uh, talks to Babs. I think she's in a movie theater that he dated someone with one leg, but she didn't need a wheelchair to get around. And he's sensitive to the needs of a handicapped woman. Loneliness, uh, their repressed sexual desires. And then she gets real upset and speeds away. There's even some dust. He says, you're all the same, able to walk or not. So I'm telling you, do not go wherever these ladies went for sure. And then she comes home and there's a very sad sight with Dinah sleeping on the bed with an image of Ollie right there. Once they get back home, I am glad that they work on the security. I think that was pretty important. Perhaps they should have done that. Well, Bab should have done that before they left for vacation. It's obviously Killer Moth got in somehow, so let's fix that. But I feel like you would need to bring in a bunch of different people to test it, right? Because Dinah's abilities or ways of getting into a secure area is going to be different from somebody like Catwoman. 
And yeah, so I'm just shocked that Dinah doesn't bring in other bat people to test it out and be sure like, yes, 100%. This is not a porous area. I would say because there are more dates, I would say that Dinah seems to be giving Tom the wrong idea. But then, you know, in this case, she takes Babs with her on the date. And so it kind of all works out. It's very old fashioned chaperone and is awkward in the beginning, but it turns out like he has a crush on Babs now. I, you know, tried to do this with Ellie actually, but she refuses. I don't literally need her on the date. I don't need to be on her date, but I, I've often asked, can you tell me where you're going to be with this guy? And then I can show up and be at like an adjacent table and just kind of voyeur. She's not having it. She said that she would be laughing the entire time and that it would give it away. So I don't know whose fault that is, but maybe if she could keep a straight face, then it would be a fun little situation. I'll keep trying. Every time I hear she's going out, I try to uh, try to wiggle myself in there. But anyways, a quick shift for Tom. He was obsessing over Donna. Now he is all of a sudden smitten with Barbara, <laughs> calls Donna, checks in on Barbara, which is pretty cool. That reminds me of a movie. What is, oh, it's Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, where after the Thanksgiving Day parade, I think it was, or whatever parade that was, Harry is calling Mary Jane and Mary Jane is like really talking up Spider-Man and everything. He's like, what do you mean? Marvelous is. Yeah. So it kind of reminds me of that at the very end, which I'll talk about this whole arc, of course, but at the very end, we do have a fight between golly. I just saw an image of Babs, a fight between Dinah and Babs. And it, it starts to ramp up. If you can see how angry we're getting here. Oh, and then, of course, she ignores the message, but it's oh my. So she the, the main point, I guess, of contention is about Dick. And why haven't you messaged him back? This isn't like you. She's not doing it because he, she wants him to appreciate her more and not take her for granted. Donna doesn't like this. Donna wonders why Babs is playing games and then. Babs is like, what are you talking about? What about Tom? Don't patronize me. Comes up from Dinah to Barbara. And then Dinah says, if you want my sloppy second so bad, have him. Makes a difference to me. And then Babs yells, oh, Dinah, stop it. You're acting like a jealous, a spoiled, jealous teenage brat. And Dinah walks off. Babs gets another message from Nightwing. She previously had said she'd click on it if he messages her again. And she ends up ignoring the message. So I, I don't know what is going on with the fight. I think it's most likely the fact that these two women, actually that whole fight fails the Bechdel test because they're talking about men, talk, they're talking about two different men, but they're, they're having their own issues. Dinah's having her issues regarding Ollie and Obviously, Tom is there and probably shouldn't be. So Babs is calling her out on that. And then Babs is having her issues with Dick. And now Tom is involved in that. So it's a weird hexagon. I don't know. And it comes out like their struggles come out against each other. But I felt like it was, uh, I don't know. I felt like it's it was a bit too much. Let's not have these ladies fight. 
the whole vacation was a bit of a drag anyways, where they just were, I guess Babs was acting as she normally would as a recluse. And then Dinah was just like over dinah Ian. She was definitely a Mary Jane in that situation. So they weren't really bonding. Like that could have been a really cool vacation with them hanging out with each other. But instead we had to have, we failed the Bechtel test and we had to have some men involved, which was, I don't know, but it just seems unbelievable that Babs hasn't let Dinah in on what's going on with Dick because they're best friends. And so I think that Dinah should know about Tarantula, about all that stuff that's going on. So having Dinah question Babs, like, why are you doing this? She should know because Babs should have told her. But I think Dinah's absolutely right that Babs playing games and why is she doing that? So I don't know. I'm going to give this seven out of 10 guys who think women with or without legs are all the same. (laughs) My question is, what did we learn from this particular issue? Which I'll ask at the very end of this arc, what changed from this story from the very beginning? So we shall see. But I guess, you know, we mostly learned the relationship hangups of our girls and not even explicitly. I think you need to know these characters more, which is a bit of a fault and a contradiction because if Hernandez is to a certain extent, as I see him doing, writing this as if first-time readers are coming on because he is giving us a lot of insight into who these women are solo, he is failing to do that in terms of who these romantic interests are and why these women might be struggling. So he should have gone the whole way. But uh, again, I think it really fails and and honestly, seven might be generous, but it just really it fails to do the relationship of these women justice because they wanted a vacation that should have been like, how could these ladies hang out together and bond more and be best friends? I don't know. That's crazy. Okay, so I'm going to move on to Birds of Prey 54 Gotham Magic, June 2003. Writer Gilbert Hernandez, penciler Casey Jones, inkers John Beatty, and Jose Marzan Jr., and colorist Hi-Fi. While out in the streets of Gotham, Black Canary runs into Nightwing in the middle of a fight and assists him. Nightwing asks her about Barbara, who has been avoiding his calls, and Dinah tenses up, thinking about her own falling out with her friend. Dick takes the initiative and confronts Barbara himself to ask why she's been avoiding him. Meanwhile, Tom connects with his brother, Danko, who has been suffering from blackouts and memory loss, forgetting weeks of his life at a time. Later, as he is watching a TV program about the Justice League of America, Danko starts to remember his past as an apprentice to Felix Faust. He also remembers his vendetta against Barbara at Tom's mentioning of her. As Dinah runs into Metamorpho, who wants to thank her for her help with his family way back in Birds of Prey 52, she starts thinking about her own family, including Barbara and Oliver. She heads back to their base to find Felix Faust waiting, or so they say. And I noticed as I was going to my long box to pull out that I have a couple doubles of 53 and 54, I think might have been one of those situations where it was on my Dick and Babs list, but that was... I was lied to. And you're kind of lied to here, right? This cover, which is pretty cool. Again, a Phil Noto. Yep. But it seems like, oh, Dinah and Metamorpho and Dick, they're all going to go into action. But that's not necessarily what happens. Okay. So I do like the beginning where Dinah 
runs into Nightwing and then Nightwing asks about Dinah. Dinah contemplates what's going on because this has happened at least once before, right? Where was that Birds of Prey 8? Where Nightwing and Dinah have this person in common and so they can talk about her. And of course, they're coming from from different vantage points of it and the relationships are different, but they've had that discussion before. And in eight, I think it was not 100% clear like who this person was. So you could kind of intuit, oh, it's Barbara. But this time, like everything's out in the open. So it is interesting to have them talk talk it out. But I almost wish it would have been more intimate. But, you know, when you're talking with a third party and it's not someone that is in that relationship, right? So if Dinah is talking about Babs to someone who is not Babs, you don't want to go too into details. She does say she's got a lot on her mind, I guess, almost bit my head off the other day. Of course, I'm not totally blameless. So at least she's she's talking about kind of the stressors that's going on and, and encourages him to keep bugging her. I felt like this section was really weird where Dick and Babs actually have a conversation. Babs is treating the conversation with Dick so lightly. And he's like, he's being sorry. He's talking about how important these things are. It starts off funny because of course, like I said, needed to test that security system. So he's gotten all trussed up there, but you know, he apologizes, explains and he asks, you know, is there someone else? And she says, right, boy, wonder, like I have the energy, but she, I don't know, like he's being, I think very genuine. And she's, I guess if I could use the words from the previous issue, just, yeah, playing games here. I think, you know, she, she then practically cheats on him in an Ethan Frome sort of way by going out on a date with Tom and even Tom gives her a cheek kiss. I mean, what am I reading here? Like I said, some Ethan Frome business where she might not be romantically dating Tom, but there's it's certainly a break from from Dick. And I think Dick was lurking in the corner. I don't know. It is like a emotional affair or a break or something like that. But then she goes home and she's actually with Dick. He does not ask about what he has seen. She does not fess up. But it does. Maybe that's all she needed was some time alone with Tom to realize that Dick Grayson is the one for her. I don't know. I think probably more personal work needs to be done to figure out what's going on here. But I am a bit nervous about this particular relationship. There is tension between Dinah and Babs now, which is, I think, unnecessary. You're getting it mostly over the headset, which is nostalgic, of course. But Babs kind of waves a white flag and asks if you want to get some coffee. And Dinah's, Dinah's busy, but says, you know, she'll take a, a rain check. So hopefully we get back to a good relationship there. Oh, boy. Okay, well, it's Dangle Twag. So he's not dead. We kind of discover what he actually did in that stasis field that Babs had him trapped there. But we also get the past that nobody really asked for. But I guess it is good to understand his humble origins as a sweeper for Felix Faust and kind of stealing his mystic arts and, and the knowledge that goes with that and all of that. 
it seems like this arc is about straining our ladies' emotions and relationships, but for what purpose? I think we're pushing them to answer questions that we know the answers to already about who is important to them and why. And I think they know those as well. So it's just it's just a bunch of overdramatic, unnecessary dramatic nonsense is what I'm going to say. I I still think I'm going to give this higher than it deserves, but I will give it seven out of 10 trust up dicks. Okay. And now we're moving on to our last issue, which is Birds of Prey 55, Heroes and Heroes. July 2003 is the cover date. Writer Gilbert Hernandez, penciler Casey Jones, and inkers John Beatty and Jose Marzan Jr. in Colors Hi-Fi. After his break-in to the clock tower, Black Canary and Oracle realize they need help stopping Dangle Twag, who has the teleportation powers of Felix Faust. Dinah calls Metamorpho, who is in the middle of a battle himself. She doesn't get a chance to call anyone else, however, as Dangle returns, this time with his brother Tom in tow. Barbara attends to Tom while Dinah and Danko teleport away and continue the fight. Dinah learns more about her opponent and his desire to prove himself as talented and successful as his brother. Danko teleports one last time to the park where Tom and Barbara are regrouping. Unfortunately, it's one time too many. Faust had warned him that teleporting too many times would be dangerous way back in Birds of Prey 54, which was the previous issue, and his warning came true. Danko dies in his brother's arms, muttering about Batgirl. Metamorpho shows up and Dinah takes him dancing while Barbara calls up Dick to schedule a rendezvous of her own. Okay, last one. And then we're over. We're done with this. So human target guest stars. No, I'm just kidding. So Babs, I guess this passes. This is the Carolyn. It passes. Carolyn knows. I think, well, because you can see, man, I don't know. Maybe that's an 80% pass because you don't see her legs too much, but you do see the wheelchair at least, but you see all the people's here. But there you go. I guess Tom again, for whatever reason. Okay. Well, Danko is obsessed. He is obsessed with Babs and knows where to get to her, but she doesn't actually know what she looks like. That does not make a lot of sense to me. Even after tying her up, for a whole issue when we did the previous arc doesn't know what she looks like that is a bit bizarre now one could argue it's because of his blacking out issues and losing some time but honestly if he remembers barbara then and and freaks out when he hears her name and back roll and all of that he, he should. So this, I think, doesn't really make sense writing wise. Not sure what's going on. I do like the intro fight between Danko and I mean, Danko is dressed up like Felix Faust. So that's why the previous synopsis ended like it did. But it is a pretty cool fight. Apparently, Danko has to bite his wrist in order to teleport, which is gross. He's just like bleeding out. Each time he teleports, Babs is playing a bit of a mind game with Tom. And I'm assuming at one point she douses him right there. But I'm assuming it's to protect 
I'd say her, but also their secret. Yeah, he wakes up in a park. I don't I guess she rolled him all the way there with him in her lap. I don't know. And, uh, you know, says, oh, I found you here. So I'm guessing that it's because she wants to protect her secret as well as Dinah's. And later on, when Dinah appears, she hides in a tree. So Tom doesn't see her. So I'm guessing that that's what's going on. Suddenly, I mean, maybe it's not so sudden, but let's just say this issue really gets nutty. I don't even think that I can properly comment on it, but just Tom, he is so out of it. He's so distressed that Babs just goes with whatever he is saying. Barbara, why did he call out your name? I mean, he was going absolutely nuts when he shouted out your name. Uh, And then she says, oh, well, okay. He and I had met before. Oh God, you two dated. And then she says, "Um, well, I wouldn't call it that, but I could see even then that he had serious emotional problems. What are you talking about? How are you leaping to this? Like, it's a very weird conversation. And then he said, and that's why you didn't want to get close to me. Okay. But none of this explains his coming and going covered in smoke. No, a lot of this doesn't make sense to any of us, Tom. Dinah is hiding in a tree, like I said before, and Dingo makes a comment about never meeting his brother's dates. And at this point, when Barbara is mentioned, he doesn't fly into a frenzy, which is bizarre, but actually begins apologizing and even apologizes to Batgirl. And then Tom, after Danko dies, is adamant that he has to go find Batgirl. She said, Batgirl, Batgirl, I have to find Batgirl for him. And then Barbara says, you can't, Tom, she doesn't exist. And then as a thought bubble says, not anymore, which is pretty interesting. We find out that Tom leaves, leaves Gotham, goes back to wherever he needs to go. He left town without a word. Yeah, I don't, you know, where did he go? Why would he leave so hastily? I guess the the easier answer is that trauma, right? Trauma makes us do things that uh, from the outside of that trauma, you don't really understand. And this was to have someone and a, a close friend, a brother die in your arms is pretty traumatic as well as whatever was going on, him being gassed up and then kind of kidnapped to a, a a non-secure location in a park. Uh, I guess he just wanted to get out of there, but it seemed like he had an emotional connection with both Dinah and Bab. So I am surprised that he didn't seek them out one last time and kind of go through what had happened. I don't know if Tom reappears, but I hope he's doing okay. Well, at the very end, we have, it could have been, right? Is this just two panels? Ridiculous. We have two panels of a Bechdel, I think. No, nope. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Of a Bechdel failing section between the two of the the ladies. Now, I kind of just wanted this for this arc, right? Of these two women together, hanging out, having a vacation. But instead, this is where I said that (laughs) to a degree, right? I It would be all, all about the pride this episode. But here we have some queer baiting here. You know how I do not like the queer baiting between Babs and Dinah. So let's see here. Dinah says, because in regards to Tom just leaving, right? Dinah says, you don't think Tom suspects anything about us. And then Babs says, you make it sound like we're an item. Maybe we maybe we better get going before somebody else thinks the same. So, you know, I just don't like 
that. But anyways, uh, I, I will say the writer gets an F just for leaning into that that queer baiting of, of Dinah and Babs. I just want them to be friends. I think that women can also be friends without them having to be shipped together. And I do realize that I am also a hypocrite because Kara and, oh my gosh, what is her name? Oh no, Luther, not Lana Luther. Heck, how have I forgotten anyways that ship because it's like luther corp isn't it or car corp i can't remember what that ship is even though they're friends there's something about that that just feels like there's some romance brewing there but anyways i just don't like these two women doing that and i think that goes way back when to that one particular image who knows what Gail Simone will do in the in the case of this. Hopefully there are some queer characters coming into the Birds of Prey. I know that the actual cast of characters starts to expand, so that would be nice. I don't know what the point was of having Metamorpho. He shows up right here. He appears very briefly in the previous issue just uh, on a phone call. So I guess maybe that was his point. He appears on that issue, so he can appear in this issue. But... Uh, here it's just to take Dinah dancing. I mean, what? And you know, would Sapphire like this? I don't think so. But you know, my morals and ethics when it comes to relationships are different from other people. So perhaps it's okay. Okay. Babs, Dinah, they're back together. Babs, Dick, they're back together. But what did this arc do? So that's my question for these three issues. Aren't we back where we started, except that we know that our beloved killer moth is not the killer moth, which I feel like I just want to erase these six issues from continuity so that the killer moth is the killer moth. But honestly, yeah, everything is back to the status quo as if nothing had happened in this particular story. And I, I think the purpose of stories or at least comics is that it is pushing something forward. So to have it actually be a literal ring and not a ring composition, because that just is recalling the end, but the beginning and the end to basically be the same. I don't think that's very good. So I'm going to give this, I made it lower. Still, I think I'm being pretty generous. Uh, 6.5 out of 10 bitten wrists. Or as I said before, I'll say one more time that I am looking forward to the Gail Simone run because this was not up to snuff. So I'm, th there's some pressure on Gil Simone, I have to say. And mainly coming from the outside world where people are telling me how good it is. But now there's pressure to, there's already some internal pressure because I want it to be as good as Chuck Dixon, which is kind of my favorite run. So, okay. I do have some listener emails. Mail time. Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Okay, so I do have a couple comments from the previous episode YouTube video. So first of all, Donovan said, 
Alfred can't be triple fired because Batman said he was on his way to give backup. He can't fire him for following orders. And I said, are you sure Alfred was the backup? And Donovan replied, yeah, Batman said help is on the way. And Alfred arrived. Who else? Plus, he wasn't mad at him for appearing just for keeping him out of Dick's room. So I do appreciate this. And Donovan has now become... You know, I have a uh, chief Tata correspondent, chief hairstyle correspondent. Now I have my chief jerk whisperer and hypocrite apologist, and that is Donovan Morgan Grant. So your congratulations on that particular title. So if Alfred can't be triple fired, then perhaps uh, it's really Batman who should be triple fired because he has a child going into into battle. He has a woman going into battle and he's got an old man going into battle. So probably Batman should be fired and just kicked out of Gotham by somebody. Hornacek gave me the the thumbs up that I now know about these green, the green ring around when I'm sharing. So I know what's up. And now I'll go into my actual email. So one of them was a YouTube comment, but he wrote in as well. So I will read this from Adam Rogers, specifically 221 part one. It's been years since I've been able to follow the podcast, but although I have not had the time to follow the comics since I started my new job, I've had time to follow the podcast again. I also left the following comment on the YouTube video, but I thought I'd share it here as well. Winky faced emoji. Yes, it is pretty weird to objectify animals. In fact, you have no problem objectifying men like Nightwing, but being highly disturbed by a woman like Cass, which is perfectly normal on its own, of course, a winky face and the thumbs up, is actually a double standard. As for the issue, I'd say it was just poor writing all around. While Batman has often acted like a major jerk in comics history, I don't agree with that portrayal. I prefer his depiction in BTAS. Sure, he could be a bit of a jerk at times, but in the end, it was always clear that he cared about his friends, family, team members. And Barbara was just, wow, I don't see her acting like that at all. That was just terrible. Even more out of character than Batman, in my opinion. And then he got those those eyes. Longtime fan, Adam Rogers. P.S. I don't really ask for directions much either, at least not from people. I rely on Google, LOL, a winky face emoji, and then one of those uh, nervous sweat emojis. So let me first say thank you for writing. Thank you for listening in again. Now, the objectification of the animals, um, I guess I'm just going to keep doing it. I will say that there was a moment I was showing Carolyn around my alma mater's grounds and we there were, some, there were two dogs and I said, okay, are we going to objectify? She did. She turned her head and we looked and we decided not as fuzzy as the corgi. So I'm going to keep doing it. I don't think anyone is being harmed in the process. I'm not shouting or hooting or hollering around them. And as for objectifying men like Nightwing, which ooh la la, of course I'm going to do that, but being really angered at the objectification of Cass. Now you call that a double standard, but can you double standard the double standard? Because the double standard already is that women are constantly objectified, but men are not. So now if I'm reversing that, I think I'm negating it and maybe helping society out. And I was talking to Carolyn about this particular comment and she had something great to say. And I wish I was recording, but basically, you know, with, with Dick, I'm just admiring the male form and appreciating it. But when women are objectified, they're 
their value is is being taken for granted, basically, and it can also lead into dangerous situations. And they're they're more commodified and and treated like an actual object than anything else. But with Dick, I still appreciate him as a person. So I'm double standarding the double standard, and I think that negates. So there you go. Now my next and final is from my former. BFF Shayna and I will you'll find out why she's my former I'm not going to play act I read this and I audibly gasped as I sometimes do for those people who know me so she writes BFF Stella I have a confession to make I was one of the people who trolled you on your Twitter poll I couldn't help myself. I'm not even reading Nightwing, and I didn't have any context for the question you were asking. It was just too tempting. Mm-mm-mm-mm. If you want to revoke my BFF status, I understand. Though perhaps you are already considering it when I praised Gail Simone's Batgirl in my last email, wingy-faced emoticon. Well, you're right. You are in timeout for this episode, Shayna, and then the next episode, I will allow you back into the BFF status. Nobody screws the wall. She continues, since finishing number six of Batgirls, I've gone back and reread the entire arc while ignoring <laughs> every narration box. There was a lot I forgot about and some interesting stuff that I hope we'll see revisited moving forward. A lot of things felt rushed to me in this arc, and I wish a little more attention was given to the interpersonal dynamics of the team. For instance, in number one, there is some compelling friction set up between Cass and Steph and Babs that seems to get resolved way too quickly. Bab starts out in number one, worrying about their identities and Cass slash Steph disobeying her only to completely throw those concerns in the garbage once she realizes they have Tudor, Seer, the Saints, and a serial killer to deal with. I think it would have been so satisfying to see the team overcome that kind of interpersonal friction while dealing with and eventually triumphing over multiple threats. That being said, the interpersonal stuff we did see between Steph, Cass, and Babs is what I've looked forward to most while reading, and I thought it was some of the strongest stuff this run has had to offer. Steph's arc was also written well, and I hope we will see character setup and development like that in the future. And I do want to keep reading. I'm very curious to know what is going on with Seer, what Mr. Dollywall might know, and if our creepy neighbor is actually a serial killer. So kudos to Clunan and Conrad for having enough open questions to keep me hooked. Overall, I think I had a better experience binging these six issues instead of reading them month to month, though binging tends to be my preference. Which brings me to a question I have for you. In your experience, have you found that some comic series are better when they are binged instead of read month to month and others vice? versa. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I don't read enough comics to have an opinion myself. All the best and apologies for the betrayal. Well, temporarily former BFF. That is a good point. And that's probably something that I should do. I think when you are reading things on the micro, right, you're like so into it that you do almost lose the bigger picture of the macro. And so reading those six and having it all come together and knowing what the starting point and end point is, I think there is probably a better appreciation. And that's sometimes the issue with this podcast is that I am so in the details of everything that I forget to bring myself out. And well, sometimes like I did, though, you know, the birds of prey that I am looking at the nitty gritty, but then I backed out and I said, oh, well, what did we learn? We really didn't learn much. So I at least try to do it sometimes. There are some series that it is good to binge because everything works really 
well together in that way. And also month to month, you can forget what happens. That's a constant criticism that I have with DC Comics in general, because they do not have the previous as Marvel does. Marvel will have like a previous, this kind of stuff happens so I can refresh my memory. But DC has never done that. One comic that comes to mind that is really good binging or at least like a consistent read. Well, actually, there are two. One of them coming to Amazon, pretty, which I'm very excited about. Paper Girls is one of those. And Morning Glories, also by Image, is really intriguing. And that's because there's a lot of back. There's like time travel. It's really complicated stuff. And so going month by month. And then there had been gaps sometimes during arcs. Like that's really hard to keep track of what's going on. And with Paper Girls also, there's lots of time travel. So if you forget, and I think there was also a hiatus at one point. So if you're forgetting what's going on, it's really hard. So I did a an episode on Pop Culture Affidavit with Tom about Paper Girls and reread the whole series. And I loved the series already, but I loved it even more sitting there and reading that in in a large chunk. So I totally agree with you. I'm trying to think of, you know, what, where's the reverse true? I'm not sure. Maybe some of Terry Moore's stuff is good. But he, I like to read his as collections. So I don't even know if that necessarily counts, but I'm just thinking like Rachel Rising, reading all of that and then having, you know, a space of years, right? And then all of a sudden he comes out with five years, which connects like all of his stories and then waiting a bit. And now he's got Serial starring Zoe, who was in Rachel Rising, like that kind of stuff really works, but still you've got those chunks, but to have a story and then take some space and work on something else and come back. I think that's pretty cool. But a lot of it is, I think, about the the memory game. I don't know if there's any, I'm trying to think if there's any like Batgirl stuff that worked well serially more so than as a gap. I mean, honestly, in recent memory, I think some of the, <laughs> the Batgirl stuff had to work serially because I couldn't take binging it. So there's that. But yeah, that that is pretty interesting. It is, you know, delayed gratification. I think, you know, it's really sad. Just like, you know, I was talking about NCIS Hawaii. I'm done with it now. You know, it took me, I guess, a week to do those 22 episodes. And I'm super excited, you know, watching this ship happen. And then once it's over, it's over. And, you know, now I have to wait for the fall for when it starts back up again. So there is that kind of sadness, too. But at least, you know, we only have or you since you, you read one through six, you only had a month to go until you had seven. But that is something that I should do, just like you did, read one through six, ignoring all the purple boxes and seeing how I appreciate that more. Thank you, everyone, for writing in or commenting on YouTube. Twitter's also come my way as well as posting on the website. But yeah, so it's been fun to have dialogues via YouTube and all of this and can always write in, remember, at Backworld Oracle. Okay, well, when I come back, I'm going to cover some modern quickies, including some DC Pride talk, some a character reappears after years of not seeing her. And I think there's a little something going on in a Tim Drake tale. But of course, we also have a full review of Batgirls 7. Remember, Nightwing just won't come out in time by when I need to leave for Germany. So I'll just do two Nightwings. But 
Alas. Uh, but first, we're going to have Zeiss's Radio Hour. And I will say that I was trying to think of some good songs that have queer representation. And I feel like my go-to queer band, though I don't really... That's not the reason why I'm listening to them is Tegan and Sarah, which you'll hear at the beginning of this episode. I was trying to think of, you know, what else could I do? And I have it on good authority. This is not even what I'm going to showcase, but I have it on good authority that if you go up to someone as probably has to be a woman and say, do you listen to girl in red? That is an encoded talk and an encoded message that is asking you if you are gay. Now I have some questions in regards to this, because what if you literally don't listen to girl in red, but you are gay? I don't know how that necessarily works. So I could have used girl in red, but I only know two of her songs and I've already used one for the shipper making you mine. So I decided to go with another one, and I don't know that there are any queer people in this band, but the music video is really good, and it features a queer couple. So, Zias' Radio Hour this time is featuring Empire by Of Monsters and Men. See you soon. Running while 
river running while they will create an empire for you illuminate there's a river running while they will create an empire for you Welcome back. You know, I recently told a listener who was complimenting me on my previous video. And I said, you know, I really shouldn't do these when I first wake up in the morning, but it's literally 413 because it's the only time that I have to record the second part. So here we are, but I think I'm a little bit more awake (laughs) one because I had to do a mad dash of reading through some, some stuff before I got started. So welcome back. We're going to do a couple quickies and then get into back rules number seven. And hopefully, you know, we'll just speed right on through. So I did read Urban Legends number 16, and this was the final part of the three-part Birds of Prey arc that we had. And it says in the synopsis anyways, will the new Birds of Prey crumble because of their lack of trust in each other? And the answer is no, but funnily enough, the person who betrayed them all is Miracle Molly. And it was an interesting story. This one certainly was jammed packed, I think, with more action than the second one, which didn't seem to move forward too much at all. And there were certainly some confusing things, but Lady Shiva has some sort of chi healing power like Iron Fist. I'm not sure if that's a new development or she's always had it. I don't know if this team minus Miracle Molly is going to continue. And this was, like I said, a backdoor pilot. I'm not super interested, but if a Birds of Prey title did come out, I I think I would give it a shot. It is fun to see at least Katana. I think it would be fun to see her on that team again and Lady Shiva and those two and how that would be. (laughs) But other than that, I'm not super interested in it but we shall see. The other thing was the Pride Tim Drake special number one, the breakout story from Batman Urban Legends collected in one volume for the very first time in time for Pride Month. Tim Drake's search for a missing friend kidnapped by the villains known as the Chaos Monsters leads Tim to realize his identity as a bisexual man. Collecting the Tim Drake stories from Batman Urban Legends 4 through 6 and 10 with a brand new story that sees Tim teaming up with his former Young Justice teammates and the Batgirls beginning Tim Drake's 2022 path, which is I just wanted to look at two pages really I would say that the the best part of this, in my opinion, was certainly his interaction with Steph. There was one comment that I had, and this is, I guess, a question also for Donovan. Uh, Does Cass swear? It's interesting to think about someone who in general has trouble with language. 
throwing out the swears. And, you know, obviously, you know that I don't swear, so I'm not trying to imprint or project my own thoughts on this. But honestly, you know, she says, why the bleep is a magical elephant rowing, running through Gotham. And then you have Steph there and a kind of animate, look at that, or manga style drawings are especially the... <laughs> the eyes and everything but this is awkward because everyone that has been helping basically his young justice crowd has been asking you know when are you going to talk to Steph? he's been yeah basically treating her coldly and not having any conversations with her especially about his his sexuality which that was something that i brought up way back when of okay tim drake is now by when steph gonna find out about this and they even had did they have any interactions before that? I don't know. But this was like the interaction that I wanted to see besides, of course, what Batman was going to do. Yeah, he said that he didn't know how to tell her. And then she kind of just, I mean, it's its super awkward. And they're working together. And then at the very end, and there are some some good moments here, like she has fallen and she's telling him to go on. And he said, what? No, never. I'm not leaving you. I will always have your back, Steph, always. And then at the very end in their civvies, they have this really great moment. And yeah, he said he didn't know how to tell her that I wasn't what you expected, that there was more to me than we both knew. And I missed you and she missed him. And he also says, you know, just because, basically just because I'm bi doesn't mean that I didn't have the strong feelings that I had for you. He says, I just realized that it wasn't because of your gender. You know, I don't only like girls. And she says, it means a world you told me we're fine. That is as long as you buy me a cookies and cream milkshake. And yeah, so that that's a really nice moment, I think. Oh, and she also gets to meet his his current squeeze, as I'll call it. It that's a hard position to be in, I imagine, because I she found out from somebody else, which is why she was so upset, of course. And you want to find out from the actual person that you have this strong relationship with, but it's also it's not on your timetable. It's on their timetable. So I'm a bit torn with what went down and how it went down. But yeah, so I feel bad that I don't know how she found out, but that she found out and he didn't tell her. He finally did tell her. So I think there was that that special moment there. But, you know, in the end, he didn't have to tell her unless until he was ready. But it just turned into a turned into a whole thing. Okay, the other, then the final quickie really that I want to talk about is this pride issue, which is over 100 pages. There's some really great stories in there. I liked the, it was a bit scandalous, but I liked the Ivy and Harley Quinn story, which was very cool. I mean, there are a bunch of like double entendres in there. It was basically like sex in a little story. But uh, I'm trying to think if there were any other ones. A lot of the characters I'm not as familiar with. And Damien pops up, which is great. But this, this was super shocking. So this one was called Up at Bat. And it's very tough for me to read. But the writer is either Hadzia or Jazia Axelrod. And artist is Lynn Yoshi. And it stars, would you believe, Alicia Yao. 
And you know how many years it's been since I've seen that woman? I couldn't even tell you, but she's kind of just hanging. She's got a bat and she's just hanging out. I never expected to see this woman ever again. It's overall a pretty, she ends up helping Batgirl and she, from Killer Moth of all people, which is, it's now we know is Dinkle Slag, but she ends up suiting up in this Batgirl outfit and uses her own trans flag wrapped or trans tape bat to beat on Killer Moth and then make his jetpack explode. And then she goes off and she says it's time to find some fights, some new fights, which that that, of course, could mean physical altercations as well as you know, stepping up and and doing something to push forward progress. But I liked the story overall. I just had to get past kind of the weirdness of this first part where Batgirl seems in real bad shape and she is street level. She has a stake protruding from her leg and she's saying, Alicia, I could use some help. So that was just like, the first weird part, because I thought, wait a minute, does Alicia know who Batgirl is? No, but Batgirl takes Alicia back to her Batcave. At two points, Alicia says that the mask doesn't hide everything she thinks it does, which I don't know if that means like Alicia's on to her. That's probably Barbara Gordon or just emotion wise, because she says that at the end as well. But so if you can get past the fact that Batgirl has been severely injured by Killer Moth is on the street. And of all the people on the street, it happens to be Alicia. And she calls out to Alicia. She doesn't say, hey, citizen, I need your help. And then also trusts Alicia enough to take her back to the clock tower. If you can get past all of that, it's a pretty good story. But I do wonder none of those that that creative team I've ever heard of, but you kind of look at this and the art is pretty cool too. You kind of look at this and wonder, oh, could Alicia help out at some point with the Batgirls, which could be pretty cool. But I, I even forgot, it's been so long since I've seen Alicia that I even forgot she was married because at one point she says that her wife would not like this. I seem to remember the marriage. I don't remember her name. So that's very sad, but I don't think I've seen her since. Oh, was that the wedding with the Luke Fox and Dick Grayson interaction in Burnside? Was it that one? So maybe. So it's been a very long time. Maybe this is a sign of Alicia to return. I don't know what that would look like, especially in the Batgirls story, because we just have enough of a cast of characters to keep us happy. We should work on those and not add another one, but I am all for getting to know Alicia again, if that is what the doctor ordered. Okay, so now let us go to the main event, which is called Batgirls number seven, Bad Reputation, part one. Story, Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad, art, Robbie Rodriguez, which I like, and colors, Rico Renzi. Instead of picking up where the previous issue ended with Seer at the Batgirl's loft, we skip forward and we see Seer leaping across rooftops for some reason as the Saints, recently escaped, chase after her. And it is a her, so we can finally identify. 
Batgirls watch all this go down and relay it to Oracle, then leap into action. The Saints capture Seer and she tries to offer them goods, but they say her transgressions are too great. Batgirls arrive and tell them to stand down, but their counteroffer is they will leave if they can take Seer with them. Batgirls agree. Shocking. Except it was all planned and they use Seer as bait and are now tracking her. Batgirls physically tail them, but Oracle digitally tails them all the way to the Iceberg Lounge. Due to the heightened security, they take a time out and meet back at the loft to discuss strategies. They watch Seer's location beacon and realize she is going down into the depths of the lounge. Seer leads the saints to her computer setup, and just as they are about to destroy it, she convinces them not to. Her baby. Locked up, Seer narrates her humble origin story. Born Kira, unwanted, a freak, Mom left. Dad brought her to work at the Iceberg Lounge. Dad left. She stayed small and quiet, and Seer was born. Fido, oh, he does still exist. Fido helps Oracle break into Seer's database, and we find out she may be related to the Odessa mob family, but it's not confirmed. The Batgirls race off on their mopeds, which they now deem cool. Oracle says, I told you so. And the Saints' new plan is to disseminate fake news that Simon Saint never died and the Saints are his lieutenants. Back at their stakeout post, Batgirls wonder what the plan is and Babs knows they can't rush in. So she chooses the front entrance dressed up in appropriate cocktail wear. Steph assumes this will also mean they will be dressing up in appropriate cocktail wear. She's not down for it. But Cass, she's she's down for it. But Babs doesn't need them, and they actually will be acting as Oracle for the time being. A drunk and newly demoted Grace O'Halloran reports on a performance going down at the Iceberg Lounge and then goes off in search of another drink. Babs' backup arrives in the form of her boyfriend, Dick Grayson, who is under the assumption that it's actually a date at the Iceberg Lounge. The Batgirls, or Oracles, clear the rooftops and wait. Next up, under the iceberg. Okay, so here we have our main cover. The Saints say their prayers. You got the Saints in the background, like stained glass. And you have a Carolyn Nose, because you have a full-bodied Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, and then Steph and Cass are behind her. So also, you know, Stella Nose, because finally they put... They're actually starting to put Batgirl, Barbara Gordon Batgirl on the actual cover. So I think fans of this show, listeners of me know that I one thing I despise in comics is off panel land. So the fact that we don't actually see the conversation between Seer and the Batgirls is really annoying to me. And I can tell it was to heighten the suspense of the opening as we see here, but come on. Uh, don't you think it's important to see how Seer got into this mess, how she convinced the team if Babs couldn't get at her because Babs was struggling with all of her technological know-how, how did the saints? I don't know. So that's something that I am <laughs> Uh, confused about. I do really like this panel, but of course it's flooded, flooded, I should say, Paige. It's flooded with narration boxes. And I swear the purple narration boxes are from some sort of fangirl or something. Maybe like a Tim Drake 2.0 or Kamala Khan. Kamala Khan? Kamala Khan. <laughs> Maybe this is all simulation. I don't know. I mean, wouldn't it be crazy if Charlotte, that was her name, right? 
misfit is like the person doing the narration boxes and then maybe she'll like appear out of nowhere and in some arc and be like yes it was me narrating i've been watching them all along and then she like joins the team like i said tim drake 2.0 because he kind of watched along as well i don't know otherwise there they are there they are okay the part where the Batgirls walk away <laughs> is not super realistic just because they even say, you know, they're like, yeah, those seem like good terms that you're taking this person as a hostage. And Sierra's saying, wait, they're going to kill me. Don't you have a code? And Steph says, you want a code? Call Batman. It's a cold world, kid. Good luck. And I mean... Are the are the saints that dumb that they would believe anyone that is wearing a bat-like symbol would do this sort of thing? Well, now that I say that, I do think of Jason Todd, but this is it it stretches the imagination. I would think something weird was up for sure. I am surprised in this section here because the Batgirls, you can't tell which one because the, the bubbles aren't colored, ask, you know, are you sure we can trust Seer? And Bab says, honestly, I don't know. Her heart rate shows that her fear was genuine and the saints did pass up the opportunity to attack you, dot, dot, dot. And the other person says, hmm, but why? Oh, my gosh. Why is there even a discussion on whether or not to trust Seer? Clearly do not trust Seer. She's been with you practically this entire first arc. And also all of that fear state business. Look at all of the stuff that she had. Done. Why would you trust that person now? As someone who does speak about grace, you know, offer someone an opportunity. So see where this goes, but you need to keep both eyes open as Nick Fury likes to say. So definitely don't trust her, follow everything, expect betrayal. So you're not surprised, but, you know, offer an opportunity for redemption if, if she does what she was saying that she was going to do. We do have Fido back. Remember, I asked the previous issue, where was Fido? I do have to say, while Fido is very cute, I think that does not compare to Bitewing over in Nightwing. But perhaps this is why we've got Fido and that Babs doesn't have Bitewing of her own accord. And so she needs her own little doggy. This was an interesting scene between Steph and Cass. We actually have a couple interesting scenes between the two of them. So we're definitely building this relationship. But we... we <laughs> I'm not surprised that Cass is the prepared one. I think that certainly tracks. But really, Stephanie, please do not lean into being the spaz that is ill-prepared. Hasn't issue one through six like pushed you forward as a character and you don't need to do this? But, you know, they're just leaning into their characters. But it's interesting if you can rely on Cass for this, what can we rely on Stephanie for? Or what can Cass rely on Stephanie for? I guess, besides humor and positivity and optimism and all of that stuff. I am confused about the whole iceberg lounge situation. And this could be me being on the periphery of Batman, though I've been reading it. But, you know, if you were to ask me very specific questions about status quo, I would not be able to answer you. But when I think of the iceberg lounge, obviously, I think of Penguin and that it is pretty well to do penguin probably does some illegal stuff in there but also had like at uh, on the front it looks like it's just a cool party place but 
how did the saints get in there? Because you would think that it would cause an uproar somehow and penguin security or other security would be on them. And then how did penguin not know about Sear being down there for however many years? which we don't even know that from her backstory. So I, I'm not really sure about this. Later on, there's more like iceberg lounge stuff that I have questions on that I'll come back to, but I'm just not sure what the status quo is. Is this working with the current DC status quo of iceberg lounge? Or is this also a bit confused? When we see them down in the basement, Tarsus certainly reminds me of Obadiah Stane from Iron Man, where he says, you know, Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave with a box of scraps. And so Tarsus also says, huh, hobbled together from scraps and talks about that whole setup there, which is probably something that Babs would want to get her hands on. Okay, so we have the backstory of Seer. Can we call it a sympathetic backstory? Do we buy it? Maybe. I don't know if I necessarily buy being sympathetic because it does seem like she was unwanted right away for some reason and a freak right away. So we're really pushing this. Let's let's feel bad for Seer here and how she grew up and everything. Honestly, the, the, this history is missing so much because you just see, I don't even know how old this child is, but you see her... Uh, I guess this is it. Oh, yeah, it's just one page. There's there's the penguin there, of course. But all we know, Kira faded away. Seer was born. I've got some questions like, for one, how did you go from the Seer baby, baby Seer, to the Seer where you are now? No one found you in the Iceberg Lounge, which is questionable. And you were carting supplies down there. How did you get so skilled? I mean, that comes with training. That's not like something that is biologically wired within you to be a hacker like this. So we're we're skipping a lot of history, perhaps. I mean, this is seven. I think this is a two-issue arc, so maybe we'll get a bit more, but I don't know. I have questions, like I said, and I'm not super sympathetic towards her, even though I think that that is the the point of this, of course, is to show that, well, her upbringing wasn't the best, but she doesn't seem like she is too emotional about all of this and any of this stuff that we see. So perhaps she is a, what is that? A sociopath is the one that does not have emotions. So I guess we'll find out, but right now, more questions than answers. Well, the answer is that her name was Kira. It's a girl. And we know some of her backstory, but we don't know how she gets to from that point, which I guess is B, to where we are, which is C. I do like that the back rolls like the mopeds now. And I guess they're super fast. And of course, Barbara says, I told you so. I also like the Steph mindscape, I guess, as we'll call it, where she's imagining how it's all going to go down in formal wear and Cass right there is rocking a suit, which is pretty cool. But Stephanie definitely acts, I think, counter to what I would expect, mainly not wanting to wear those costumes. And then Cass also acting counter where she is willing to and looks i mean she says well look good so the little floating heads and everything <laughs> so i look good i think it's good which is funny that it's steph's brainscape or mindscape and everyone else is in on it and knows what it looks like but 
Yes, it's that I, I find that very amusing and also just counter. I think these are fun. I, I wouldn't say necessarily that these are out of character moments, but these are moments that, well, I guess technically they are out of character. They're fun because they do run counter to what you would expect. And we've seen cast do some wild things that we wouldn't expect, like the unicorn costume or what was that? It was a robe, wasn't it? So sometimes you you play as you are expected, like not packing your binoculars. And other times you play someone that you don't expect, like not wanting to play dress up, but it doesn't matter. And Babs is pretty cool because of the shades. But also, I think at one point she says, do you think it's going to be enough to hide the fact that you're James Gordon's daughter? Which goes to the fact that if they knew... If she's bringing that point up that, hey, they might recognize you, that means that Iceberg Lounge is as I think it to be, which is a den of crime and villainy. So still confused about this particular location. I don't know at the bottom of this page when she says you guys are going to be oracles, which is an interesting thought, just that being Batgirl and being Oracle is a fluid name or association. I would always associate, I think, Barbara Gordon with Oracle, but here she's like, you guys take this on, which is actually, I think, bigger, a bigger statement than just how it's put forward here on the page. But if Backrolls is also just a fluid name that anyone potentially could could have the Backroll moniker, then perhaps that's true about Oracle. But anyways, I don't know where that backpack came. I actually looked back to see if it popped up. These are like certain, see, there's that, the minutia that I was speaking about in part one. You know, if you're going to have a backpack randomly appear, then perhaps, perhaps you show that on the moped as well. Oh, poor Grace. So she is definitely taking one for the team. I'm assuming that it's because she defended the back rolls at the end of the previous issue. But I do think that there is a writing issue here where at one point she says to Rocky, her cameraman, let's grab another drink. No. Well, that is important because she's clearly an alcoholic, but we knew that before. Oh, and bring the camera. Not like anything exciting is going to happen tonight. So this is something that should be known as a cum concessive clause in Latin, where the two parts of the sentence don't go together because one is opposite of what you would expect. Okay, but it's written as if it is a causal clause that, you know, bring the camera because we're not going to see anything exciting, which does not make sense. It should be bring the camera even though or although nothing exciting is going to happen because it's it's counterintuitive. Otherwise, Mm-mm-mm-mm. So that's an actual, I think, grammatical mistake that I'll point out just because. Okay. She does at one point go through all these people, Falcones, uh, Tommaso's, Ibanescu's, even a cane or two, which not all of them are on the up and up. And I would say most of them are on the down and down. So it's this who's who coming to this performance. I, I don't know why it's so publicized. Wouldn't the GCPD be just be all over that? Or is this just a, a situation where the, they know they're gangsters, the gangsters are operating out in the open, but it doesn't matter because they can't do anything because they don't have 
a legit cause for arresting them. I don't know. But I think it just goes to the point of the Iceberg Lounge is not a good place to be. So I'm confused. And then we have this last section where she's waiting for her backup. And this car ride drives up and says, hey, they're beautiful looking for a date. She says, sorry, I'm waiting for my boyfriend. He says, lucky guy, looks who it is. It is Dick Grayson himself. And then she ends up staring at him a bit. She you know, says that she was smitten, smitten and just staring at him. Oh, And he says, good, stay that way. And so we have this, this last section. And I don't know, does Dick actually think they're on a date at the Iceberg Lounge? If he does, I'm a bit confused because Babs, of course, would tell him what it actually is. And then I would wonder why didn't she if that were it. So here we are. So this is a great chipper moment. I will say art wise, I love the art on this entire issue. I'm a fan of Robbie Rodriguez, though in this instance, I do wonder why Dick is so boyish looking. He does look so much younger than Barbara there and of course she's wearing makeup so perhaps we've just aged her up a bit but i don't know he just looks younger to me there's another potential shipper moment right here between the bat girls which i also question why are they for a lot of the issue on the rooftops without their cowls on did cats learn nothing from 2002 and Stephanie, heavens above. And they actually go after, you know, somebody. What if he hadn't been knocked out so easily and he had seen who they were? This is this is weird. And remember, Bab said that they had to be super careful with their identities once they moved to that new place. So I don't know what's going on. It's great to see their faces, but not the wisest decision. And Cash should know better, especially. But Cass at one point says dressing up would have been fun. And Steph says, dress or cow, you always look good, Batgirl. And the emphasis is on always. And I don't know if that's a shipper moment. <laughs> I It could be. It could be. I mean, in the romances that I have read, someone will comment on something like that. And it's clearly to be taken as a flirtation between the two. So. Who knows if this becomes a ship? Well, let us not. Let's not get too crazy. I do think it's great to see their friendship, their relationship. I don't know. Like they would need to really develop this well and little pieces like that, little nuggets instead of like full on stuff that you're kind of scrunching your eyes at. So if they decide to go that romance route, I might be okay with it. This may portray me as a hypocrite because of the the Babs and Dinah situation, but I feel like people are really leaning into this Steph and Cass. So I don't know what to do with that. I think I would be absolutely fine if they do not. And I, I think I'd have to be convinced very gradually if they do. So it's one of those Poe Finn situations in Star Wars where I could have seen it, but also I wasn't convinced. So either way, it it didn't bother me when they didn't pull the trigger. So we'll see what happens. But that's that's a weird dynamic, though, to be honest, when you have one person and then a couple in a triangle. 
I don't know what the team would look like in that case. I think if they did like an Elseworlds and and attempted this relationship, maybe that would be nice just so you could kind of test the waters. That's a big, I feel like that's a big status quo change. And they're doing so much, you know, with, with Tim, I don't know. I can almost hear the outcry. Maybe, maybe I I'm very conflicted on that one, to be honest. So let us hope that they'll just stick as friends. And then if we start spotting these little moments there, then we'll, we'll really settle down and discuss what I think about it. But I am torn about that. I think I'm going to give this issue eight out of 10 cup nudes really liked the art and liked how the back girls were operating as a team. And it was pretty decent mission for them to be going on and surveilling and meeting back up and talking about things. And now we have this, but I do have questions. I I don't like that there was off panel land and that we didn't see how this all transpired to get to this point. And yeah, just some confusions about the iceberg lounge and everything. So we shall see, but it's only a two part storyline. So it'll get wrapped up pretty quickly. And then I don't know what that means for Seer, where she'll be at the end of this. Okay. So I haven't watched any anime, but I thought since it is Pride Month that I would give you six recommendations for things that you could watch. Well, actually five recommendations for things you could watch and one recommendation for something you could read for Pride Month. These are in no particular order, and I'm afraid that the majority of them are woman loves woman because I just I don't find man loves man like i don't find much good media and i know there's that new netflix show heartbreaker i don't think that's what it's called i have yet to watch that so i can't comment on that but i i think the last gay love story i watched was god's own country and that was to research the director before i watched ammonite and god's own country had its own its own well the character was just pretty uh pretty messed up it gets better at the end but it was it was a bit of a struggle so anyways i will say though that i ha- will recommend brokeback mountain i do need to rewatch that i watched that back when i probably was in high school i remember with my mom and i enjoyed it and so because my tastes and i don't know I guess my cultural sensibilities have evolved. It'd be interesting to watch it now. So that came out in 2006. I can't tell you when I watched it, but I'm pretty sure we rented it from Blockbuster. So there you go. The World to Come, which you can find on Hulu, and that came out in 2020. Kiss Me, also known as Kiss Mig, K-Y-S-S-M-I-G. And that is a Swedish film, and that came out in 2011. And I feel like I've seen it on Amazon, but maybe not. Oh, maybe I've seen it on Netflix. You might be able to stream that. Imagine Me and You, which came out in 2005, which is one of my personal favorites. And it stars Piper Perabu and Queen Circe herself. 2005. And you're going to have to rent that somewhere. That is not streaming. 
Ooh, another personal favorite, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is that French film that I talk about all the time and recommend to anyone and everyone that came out in 2020. And that is still on Hulu as well. So those are all those films that I think deserve a look look through. And two of them have a happy ending. One of them have a contented ending. (laughs) That you might not find happy, but it's like, well, that makes sense and it's it's okay. And then two of them have a sad ending. One of the sad endings could also be contented depending on how you look at it, but there you go. And then the book is Some Girls Do, which I think I recommended a while ago and it was also on my on my best of list, I'm pretty sure, over at Quinoa, but it is by Jennifer Dugan and I just found that to be a really great story. So there you go. Some pride recommendations. Okay. And finally, my literature recommendations. It's what I do a photographer's life of love and war by Lindsay Adario. And that will be on the next, next required reading with Tom and Stella as we finish off our four episode little arc that we've been doing with hiking and travel logs. And then we'll have a special, of course. So that's the last one. Without Reservations, The Travels of an Independent Woman by Alice Steinbach. That was a contender for my last choice, but I didn't like it as much as the the previous one. And I was also confused why it's The Travels of an Independent Woman, but she's also like romantically involved with this guy overseas. And, you know, love happens. But I also thought, wait, are you trying to see what it's like without, you know, a man? I mean, she's divorced and also, you know, your children and everything. I don't know. I read The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray, which is a High Republic novel. And that one, golly, yeah, they killed off. Oh, my gosh. They killed off. A couple people, one of them was a big name, but a couple people that have been through that arc of the High Republic. So I'm just kind of trucking along and watching some of these characters. And there's still there's still some shipping. And it looked like there was shipping at the end. I don't know if the next novel will pick up and and these two Jedi that one of them really emotes love and the other one is, you know, trying to be closer to the order. I don't know if those two are going to get together or not. We'll see. I'll keep on going. Off the Road, A Modern Day Walk Down the Pilgrim's Route into Spain by Jack Hitt. I did not care for as much. That is the next required reading. Literally just recorded that with Tom eight hours ago. So you'll hear more of my thoughts there. Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. And I actually gave this five stars. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was really smart how everything is woven together. And the ending was pretty powerful. I couldn't tell you what it was about for 150 pages, but so I don't think I'd be able to, uh, I don't even want to tell you what it's about, but if you've liked her others, Station Eleven, Glass Hotel, which there are ties to both of those, then, you know, give this a shot. And finally, Ever by Terry Moore. Not my favorite Terry Moore, but certainly interesting. And it also ties into a certain extent with Rachel Rising, which I really like that story. So I think that's it. 
Okie dokie. Remember, you can send any questions or comments to backrolloracle at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, or follow it on Twitter at backrolloracle, and subscribe to the show on YouTube for an uncut version. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well, and support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to My High Comics for sponsoring Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. So I am off to Germany and Austria. Liederhausen. And I'll see you next month with, I think, some Cassandra Kane, right? Because I'm alternating. The alternation seems to be working. But until then, happy Pride Month again. Love. Love is love. And support those who are also loving. I think that's it. Fly on, Babs lovers. <laughs> Just plain Barbara Gordon. Masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you? <laughs>